Cougs house. All right, the number one Houston Cougars are the best team in America and have the best player in America and just won the outright American Athletic Conference Championship. Let's get to it. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, here to break down all things Cougs. Uh, welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. Remember, we're just over 700 subscribers. We get to 750. We're going to be giving away the Galen Robinson-designed Letterman jacket. It's got For the City across the back with the skyline. Houston Cougar, big Cougar, cool, cool jacket. Uh, it's a size extra large. We give that away at 750 subscribers. Hit subscribe down below. Like, leave us a comment, and if you can't think of anything to say after we talk some about Houston beating East Carolina and claiming the American Athletic Conference Championship, tell us if you like, I don't know, uh, turkey hamburgers. All right, so all in all, I'm going to look at a couple different aspects of this game. Uh, in the first segment, I want to brag someone, Marcus Sasser, uh, big, big gutsy performance in what might not have needed to happen on Saturday, uh, but we got to talk some about that. Second, I want to look at the X's nose, the games in a little bit, um, including a breakdown of how multiple Houston was on offense, but also the zone defense uh, raised some eyebrows and questions. And then in the third segment, I look at like a snapshot of kind of what this accomplishment winning the American for a fourth time in five years means, reflect on some of the stuff that Kelvin Sam said after the game as far as journeys go. But in the first segment, let's talk a little bit about Marcus Sasser. I said he had a gutsy performance because less than seven minutes into the basketball game, Marcus Sasser appeared to be in a lot of pain as he was rising on the ground, holding his foot and ankle. Now, I have to say that most of us had this uh, guttural reaction to a flashback to a you know a year ago, knock on wood, when Marcus injured his foot, right? Like uh, he's he's been injured a couple different times. His stops throughout Houston, and it hasn't really felt fair because he's such a tremendous basketball player. You know, we just want to see him play a full season. It's like, no, how is this happening? Um, obviously, in rewatching the clip, um, and then he ended up anyway. They helped him off the floor, and it looked kind of bad. He looked like a lot of pain. And a couple minutes later, he's back in the game. Um, honestly. In rewatching the clip and, and preparing for the show afterwards, it looks like he, in backing up to get around a screen, awkwardly stepped on an ECU foot and rolled his own ankle in doing so. Um, fairly common to step on a foot and roll your own ankle in basketball. And nothing too crazy, and certainly not like malicious at ECU or anything like that. But glad that that was the case. It looked it's, it looked like on uh, social media, per a couple different uh, you know beat reporters that were there that he did, in fact, roll his ankle and get it re-taped. Uh, Alan Bishop is one of the guys, uh, The, the he's the weight room guy, but he like more or less carries him off the floor a little bit, like around his arm, whatever. Uh, they go in the back, tape him up, and bring him back on the floor. Um, on the whole, I think, frankly, my initial tweet when he went off the floor was, oh, man, I, I bet he's done for the day because Houston has at least a share of the conference title going into that game, and frankly important basketball to play very, very soon while we push this kind of thing, et cetera. And then he checks back in uh, a couple minutes later. And it's like, Oh, he's back in the game. Um, played very, very well. When he checked back in though, I was initially like, God, why are you doing this? And then 
admittedly on defense, they gave him a little bit easier assignment. He kind of got to sag off a little bit as opposed to being pressed up on guys. Um, he ended up pressed up on guys pretty quickly on his own accord, but not the same uh, difficult defensive assignment that he was assigned to earlier. But on offense, his first offensive possession back in the game post-ankle injury was driving down the lane off a pick and roll with Juwan Roberts. He got all the way past the basket and then kicked it to a trailing Juwan Roberts on the roll. And Roberts then had a nice little drop off the Cheney. Cheney missed the mic and shot, but and Juwan Roberts followed it. It could have been a sweet hockey assist to the least out of Sasser. And he drove all the way to the lane, planting, cutting, et cetera, off of that foot. The second offensive possession back in the game. So again, he just got back in the game. Um, he has to fight with an ECU defender to pull the ball away before the call of jump ball. Swing, swings it, ball gets swung back around to him. And he eventually drives lane and does a con- contested floater in which he lands awkwardly on both feet. Totally fine. And then a couple possessions later, he ends up pushing the ball in transition. Um, and actually, in transition, tries to drop it off at EC defending the flex out of bounds. All that is to say that very, very quickly, it was like, oh, by three or four possessions back in the game, it's like, oh, Marcus is fine, right? There was there was no worry to any of that as wa- as you're watching him. Um, he had one of his, you know, it's becoming his like once a game type of Euros. It just went off the front of the rim on a nice like reverse out of it too. Kind of interesting to be able to cross the rim and flip it back over the right hand. Um, but Roberts followed that up as well. So, you know, Jawan does that. Um, on the whole, it was impressed to watch 34 minutes, especially when you compare like he missed two minutes injured, so he probably would have really had over 35 minutes of basketball. 22 points on just 16 shots. Shot 50% from three-point line. Also tagged in five rebounds and three assists, and I'd argue we should have had two more assists, but guys dorked the shot on the other end. On the whole, Marcus Sasser had a tremendous outing on Saturday night, and it almost didn't even happen because of that ankle injury, right? And I just continue to be impressed more and more. Obviously, we've had him on the Houston Cougars roster for several years now. It's so like, I shouldn't be surprised, but I continue to be surprised at his determination, right? Like we can talk a lot about the step back and the prettiness and the smoothness and the euros and all those kinds of things. But where you see the pro come out of him is that like, you know, I, I don't Mamba mentality when he's going after all this stuff in a game that frankly, like isn't the most important game on Houston slate in the middle of February on a bum ankle, right? Like, all those things come together and went convalescent to like what makes Marcus Sasser the pro that he is because he doesn't have to be doing any of those things and he does it anyway. Really, really impressive performance by him. I'm going to get into more individual performances in a moment, get into the X's and O's kind of stuff, but I just cannot say enough about how impressive Sasser was. Uh, frankly, it, you know, I, I said when he came back from the injury, he had like a chance to like kind of take his breath or catch his breath on defense. It gave him a little bit of a different matchup, but he very quickly by like late first half was back to diving after loose balls and all that kind of stuff. It was as if the ankle injury had never happened. Um, and that's very, very encouraging, right? Cause Houston has very important basketball to play in the next, we'll just say eight weeks. Um, and then they also, frankly, like, you know, he's, a, he's a guy with injury history. And so it was good to see all of that get behind him very quickly. Um, I do think it's interesting that in the couple minutes that he was off the floor, Houston didn't seem to skip a beat offensively. It's not that they didn't miss him. That might not be the best way to say that. They certainly missed him a little, but they didn't miss a beat in the sense that they were still able to score a lot of points um, and still able to like attack different things. East Carolina was not able to, to defend. And so this, I feel like was entirely Marcus saying, I want to come back. It's not like Houston needed him to come back. Um, and I think adds a layer 
to it. Uh, I want to talk more about the X's and O's of the game, but before we get to that or before we get to our buddies, I do want to point out one buddy. Uh, we'll say MSAS2. I'm not going to go on and on about taking uh, pot shots. I guess is who this is, but I want to thank, thank you to MSAS2 for lumping Lockdown Cougs, a relatively new show, in with Let's Rage Cougs and folks talking sports as people giving the Houston Cougars love from a national approach. Um, obviously, the Sasser family as a whole is royalty up in the DFW basketball scene. Um, Marcus Sasser's father played col- uh, collegiate basketball at a community college. His two uncles both played at uh, SMU, and I'm forgetting the other one. It's going to come to me in a moment. Texas Tech. Texas Tech's the other one. And they also, his uncles both went pro, a little bit taller than his father was, right? Um, but Marcus is hoping to follow in the footsteps of what is a like I said, basketball royal type of family in the DFW Metroplex, um, running some, you know, very involved in AAU scenes and high school coaching and that kind of stuff. So uh, thank you for the shout out. Thank you for paying attention to the show. And uh, we are big fans of Sasser and the Sassers here at Locked on Cougs as well. So it goes both ways, I guess, to say the least. Um, But our other buddies at Built Bar are here to tell you a little bit. I need to tell you a little bit about them as well. Uh, So if you are, Still working on that New Year's resolution or you want to kind of jumpstart it, Built Bar is the perfect treat for you. It has all of the taste and none of the fat or calories. Uh, we just got through the holidays. I know my goal, at least, maybe I'm putting this on you, is to eat a little bit healthier this year. Even if you're like me and you want to eat healthier, but you want to compromise on taste, you've got, we've got the thing for you. you got to try Built Bar with Built. Healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious. You won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like candy bars while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now, you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, I've been telling you to go build, get your Built Bars at Built.com. But now you're going to have a Walmart or a Sands Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section. Grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can bu- pick up a box of a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sands Club, you can go in and grab a 13-bar box. The hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. Thank me later. I'm going to continue to recommend the coconut almond for the uh, almond joy folks like myself out there. If that's not your jam, but you like a Built Bar and a different flavor, tell us down below all right so i said in the second segment i want to talk some about uh more grandiose things about the game i bragged on marcus for a whole segment um first let's talk about some offense because that was the part that i think it'd be really really hard to argue didn't go poorly uh we mentioned marcus sasha's 22 points in his stat line but two other stat lines that stuck out in this game were shaman mark who had 20 points on 15 shots, uh, shot 50% from inside the arc and 40% from outside it. Also throwing a few free throws in there. But perhaps most, you know, like the best like sign of life for this team is that Tremont Mark is adding nine rebounds on top of that 20 points. He's become a fairly like a fit like effective and like a, a rebound that Houston can really really depend on. He had nine defensive rebounds. All nine rebounds were defensive and three assists. Again, I think he had one or two more assists in there that got dropped or a couple too many dribbles. But Tremont is just such a great score, and it was great to see different sets Houston ran that got him the ball in isolation spots. Um, he really, really flourished against... Like, ECU didn't have a guy to cover him. 
Or if they did, the guy was too busy trying to cover Marcus Sasser as well. So, like, watching Shaman Mark work through those ISO spots and get to his mid-range pull-up, right, get away the rim a couple times too. Um, his length, I think, is deceptive because he he's only 6'5", but he's got this long wingspan. He plays more like a 6'7", 6'8", kind of guy as far as, like, finishing around the rim and getting to the rim. Uh, the big first step gets the pound pull-up and gets a lot of ground when he does that. Really, really impressive game for him scoring the basketball. Also to point out, uh, Juwan Roberts had his own double-double. 17 points, 12 boards. Seven of his 12 boards on the offensive side, too. Uh, lots of tip-ins and follows and putbacks. Really, really great performance that I am. And frankly, uh, so the benefit of doing this on a Monday morning show on a Saturday night game is that we have like a full Ken Palm stat list, too. Ken Palm dubbed him the MVP of the game because of his performance. I think that's because of the impact on offense and defense with the scoring and rebounding. Um, he also had uh, four blocks. <laughs> um, so, you know, MVP kind of things out of him. He didn't break his... Uh, should, we, should, we, should we, like, be upset that he didn't break his personal best scoring like he did between the last two games? No? No, we're going to let that go? Okay, cool. Um, so, the interesting thing to me in getting these guys the ball, and they were not the only guys for Houston that scored. Uh, Jarris had seven... Uh, Jamal Shedd had his own four points. Like it just kind of like took a real steep dive as far as like those three guys had 17, 20, 22, and everyone else had single digits. Um, but I thought it was cool to see though that Houston ran a bunch of different sets here, right? And I think the common like critique on Twitter was like, oh, Houston's doing a lot of isolation. Like, and that was where sets finished. It's like, where can we get Tremont Mark and ISO? Where can we get Marcus Sasser and ISO? Where can we get Jarris Walker and ISO? But the start of those sets going from Horn sets into high-low that got Jarris the ball on the block, right? Going into floppy sets into a cross screen that got Tremont Mark ball on the left slot, and then he could operate and get to the elbow for his isolation pull-up, right? Um, even just a simple, like, 3-2 weave with a backside pop of a post, right? Like, they're just going around the top of the key, weaving. Like, they did a bunch of different things offensively that were just simple actions. And so maybe sets are what people are looking for while Houston's running actions. And, and maybe that's why Twitter was like, what are they doing or whatever. Um, but a bunch of different stuff to where I don't think ECU could catch a beat on what was coming or who was going to get the ball to score. Because when you look at like three dudes with 15 or more points in the college basketball game, I feel like it, you ought to have a pretty good idea of like, oh, it's one of those three guys. Um, however, Houston was able to get them the ball in a bunch of different spots because of the number of different offenses they were running or offensive actions they were running. Um, and then let's talk a little about the defense because that's what Houston's really known for. But the offense was multiple and a bunch of fun. Um, the defense, though, I commented on Twitter on Sunday. Um, I could watch that first half defensively Houston ran just on loop. Just keep it going. Keep it going. They were just in a, a plane. 55 man. They were briefly in 54 man when uh, big man Javier France was in the game. 55 versus 54 means you're either switching five spots on five spots, 55, so all five guys switching on all five guys, or 54 means we'll switch on any of their five with four of our five. And that was just because Javier is a more traditional big man. And so he wasn't quite going to switch out and play in the perimeter. But Wani and Chaney and Jairus all could. And so he's just in a straight 55 uh, defense. They blitzed the second ball screen, some of the double drag kind of actions um, that. East Carolina wanted to run, did a really great job of like forcing them to pick up the ball and kick it behind them. And what's interesting in watching is Houston only made, I say only, Houston only made ECU turn the ball over eight times, um, far below their season averages, um, just generally speaking. 
Um, but I do think it's interesting to say that like, while Houston will generally turn people over a lot more, they pull us to make sure I'm right. They generally speaking, turn the opponent over 14.3 times per game. Right. So actually ECU took care of the basketball against Houston's defense in a way that like, I don't know that we would think of in watching them play normally. Um, however, ECU took long possessions to get really rush shots that were really tough shots at the end of shot clocks. There was a stretch there in the first half where they're missing decent looks. They were still tough, long possessions to get those decent looks, and those decent looks got worse and worse as the game went on, with the exception of a stretch of zone defense down the, at the end. Um, that's to say that Houston's defense didn't necessarily, outside of like a few steals in the early part of the game, turn ECU over a lot, but the defense was effective because at some point a bad shot or a rush shot or a forced shot is as good as a turnover, right? That's why the shot clock is there is being, make them shoot the ball in a rush situation. If they don't get the ball off earlier, um, really, really impressed from that. Uh, Houston in the fir- last or in the first half, I should say as a whole, ECU had just three made field goals. Houston had five blocked shots, right? It was that kind of a day for the Houston Cougars on defense, which leads to the big question defensively. Why did they go zone in the last five minutes of basketball game? Now, I will say, much like they went multiple styles of offense, this was a changeup on defense. They went to a traditional 3-2 zone and gave up a lot of baskets in it, right? Um, and it was like, you know, at, at that like rate, uh, a per possession type points or whatever, I don't have the breakdown in front of me, but they gave up a lot more points per possession in zone than you ever would have thought they would in man. And I think of a couple reasons. One, it felt like a chance to like get some like live practice reps of something you want to do later. Houston may want to run zone at some point during the tournaments coming up, right? The American tournament or uh, obviously March madness. Um, But bigger picture to me, um, I, I wonder if this is a function of legs are tired. They played four games in 10 days. Um, you know, <laughs> the Kelvin Santa quote that kills me is in talking about this after the fact, he said, you know, we went zone and we don't know if we we're on uh, on foot or on horseback <laughs> and I was on foot or horse. And I'm like, Hey, he says that about a bunch of different things, but you don't hear him talk about it, his defense like that very often. And B that's exactly what it looked like because the 3-2 zone is a little bit different and more nuanced than the 2-3 zone, obviously, and that the backside guard has to like come down and play the post. Now, Houston's guards double-team the post often. That's not crazy, but there were backside cuts and backside lobs and backside putback dunks all because that guard didn't do it. That was not a normal rotation for some of these guys. Um, so I imagine it was working on something, but I imagine more thoroughly it was getting the legs right after four games in 10 days. Now, Houston's got a little bit of a break. They were off Sunday, obviously. They don't play again until Thursday evening, Thursday's senior night, and then they go out to play at Memphis next weekend. Um, I think that that it's safe to say that unless they're working on the zone, the zone will probably be retired before they make those games. Uh, Thursday, senior night, go enjoy that game as well. Um, but I, I looked at the zone, and I was like, what are they doing? And then I wondered if they're working on schematic things, what could they do with the 3-2 zone, right? Like, where could they be going with this? Um, do you want to put Tremont Mark's length at the top? Do you want to, of the 3-2 zone, kind of the head of the spear? Do you want to put more like Jamal Shedd's aggression up there? 
you want to put someone with Jairus's size up there? Are we ever going to see my massive lineup where Jairus is really the small forward and you have like Roberts and Francis or Cheney? And like, I, I weirdly think in this three, two zone, you could do something like that when you put Jairus up at the top of it. And like, man, oh man, could that be a lot of fun? Now in the third segment, I'd like to talk some about uh, winning the American athletic conference for a fourth time in five years. So let's get to it and let's talk about like how big an accomplishment that is. Now, again, four titles in the regular season in five years is nothing to sneeze at no matter what conference you're in, right? I think what's impressive about that is the five-year window in which they did it were a fairly tumultuous five years across college basketball. When you have COVID, March Madness canceled, all those different things across this. You also have on their own roster constant turnover, they lost four starters from last year's team, and last year's team had four different starters from the year before because of injuries and things like that, right? What's interesting to me in watching this stretch, really the Samson-era nine-year stretch of Houston Cougar basketball, but certainly the last five years, is that the offense changes a lot. Now, they do usually use their post more than I would expect. And they do usually find somebody they can trust on, like, Pick and rolls and lobs and those like those kinds of things do happen. This year there was a little bit less lobs than like last year with Tajay Moore and those kind of things, right? But what they do do, I think that's interesting, is the defense stays the same. Samson, now that he's gotten kind of in the groove of this thing, and it's you know the last five years have been after he started recruiting, like his the team was all Samson recruits. Um, they're only getting guys that can play man-to-man, 55, we're switching everything, we're doubling ball screens, etc. right? Like, that's the only kind of guy that they're getting, and that's all the guys that they're getting. And in the last five years, as they've won the American four times in the five-year span, that's the consistent thing, right? The offense, the actions, the things they're going to run on offense have changed somewhat frequently. I mean, they're doing different stuff, honestly, in the month of February than they were running in November. So, of course, they're going to be running different stuff in 2023 than they were in 2021. That's not the deal. The deal that's made them a consistent champion in the American Athletic Conference is that intense defense, that defense where they're constantly getting hands on the basketball and rebounds and blocks and tips and deflections and steals, and they make you play frantically. It's a style of basketball that requires a very certain kind of athlete, and Samson's made sure he goes out and gets those. And he's very, very blunt about just recruiting those guys. He said before in press conferences and after other games about how, like, you know, they get a certain kind of guy to come to Houston. There are plenty of four-star guys and five-star guys out there that just wouldn't fit in with what they're doing. And he just doesn't go get those guys, right? Um, it is interesting, too, and part of this journey is that Houston wins the American Athletic Conference the fourth time in five years in their last year in the conference. And A... We both love how about it's like pokes in the gut of the Memphises, the SMUs, Wichita State, all those guys, right? We love how this just kind of pokes them in the stomach. But also, it's kind of confirmation of a couple of things, right? Houston is moving into the Big 12 next season. The Big 12 is the best conference in basketball. I think it's safe to say right now, I mean, March Madness is Houston's the best team in college basketball. And you could very easily argue with the success they've had in the last five years they're the best program in college basketball at least set up for a long time you got kelvin sampson running it his son kellen is heavily involved and the head coach in waiting like all those things work out in a way that makes houston a natural fit where like they're leveling up in the big 12 at exactly the right time 
in the team and franchise team and program's history, right? Like as they move into the Big 12, they're also moving into a new era of dominance in college basketball, right? People are starting to recognize and respect the brand across the country. That Final Four a couple years ago is no longer a one-off because they went to the Elite Eight last year, right? And they're a number one team in the country this year, and their rosters, as I mentioned earlier, have completely turned over, right? Samson wasn't reflective on that in the postgame. But in the postgame on Saturday, I do think Samson led us on to, like, he's kind of getting a little nostalgic and emotional about the journey this team and program have been on. Um, first of all, you got to remember they played East Carolina, which is in Greenville, North Carolina, right? Uh, coach Sampson went to Pembroke college in Pembroke, North Carolina. Right. Um, and so when you look at that, like that's a total of a three and a half hour drive. And there were a lot of people there that were just fans of Kelvin there. They weren't fans of Houston or the Cougs or Sasser. They like all of them, but they made it very clear they were there for, Kelvin. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Andy Yanez did a great job of reporting it. Um, but Samson was shaking hands, kissing babies, and signing autographs for like well over an hour after the game was over. And he's not that guy. He's not the emotional, oh, thank you all so much for coming. Like he's like, finish the game, let's move on to the next one most frequently, especially on the road, because most often they're getting on a bus to the airport or a bus straight back home. They don't have time to waste, so they got to get home, right? Um, and that's not what they did in East Carolina on Sunday. Admittedly, as we mentioned, they don't play again until Thursday. Got a little time, but um, I think I think there's something emotional tied to this season that he's starting to feel a little bit in a way that's kind of interesting to see in like you know a shattering of the glass kind of moment or or a, you know a breaking of the armor or the you know the rough exterior of Kelvin Sampson. Um, he mentioned in the post game that it all started in Pembroke. He and his wife met there many, many years ago. They went from there to East Lansing, uh, when he was an assistant and grad assistant at Michigan state. He went from there to Butte, Montana, where he's an assistant. And then eventually a head coach at Montana state there to Pullman, Washington, where he was the head coach at Washington state there to Bloomington, where he was head coach at, uh, India, sorry, there to uh, Norman, <laughs> got myself out of order, to Norman, where he was the head coach at Oklahoma, from Oklahoma to Bloomington, Indiana. He was the head coach at Indiana. After that, he went to uh, Milwaukee to be an assistant coach for the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, then to Houston to be an assistant for the Houston Rockets, and now a head coach of the Houston Cougars. And he made very, very clear, like, this is the last stop. I guess technically, if you're a Rockets guy, he said that, City of Houston's the last stop and, and whatever. And um, but he made very, very clear that Houston is the last stop. And we talked in a previous episode a couple months back when UT Austin fired their UT Austin, not UT anywhere, but UT Austin fired their coach Chris Beard, that like he needs to stay in Houston, it's the better gig. He understands that. He made that very, very clear. This is the last spot. Um, his son, Kellen, is the head coach in waiting. Two of his like the best players he ever coached in Qantas White. And uh, Hollis Price are his two assistants. Like, this is his program. His uh, wife and daughter are involved in the uh, media side of the program as well. Like, they're, they're, this, is, this is the family business. And it's really, really cool to see, like, I don't know how many years he's got left in this. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be. Um, I'd imagine he gives the Big 12 a run, too, because he's probably still a little ticked off about the way some of those relationships were when he was at Oklahoma. And, <laughs> um, but... I, I 
I think it's interesting to see like that emotional side of him in the post game was not saying I think you could expect. And frankly, um, going into an answer about his journey, his journey to get here, when asked about, you know, hey, you have a lot of people here. And he's like, yeah, I, this is a full circle moment for him. And to win the American Athletic Conference, the outright winners of the American, American Athletic Conference in North Carolina, I think is a chef's kiss poetic moment for him in a season that kind of has a bunch of those. We both know the Final Four is in Houston. Realistically, winning a national championship would be cutting down the nets just 5.6 miles from campus. That's wild. That's storybook, and that seems to be the way this season is going. Let's hope it continues, and I'm here to talk with you about it all along the way. Thank you so much for listening to Locked on Googs this morning and making us your first listen of the day. Make sure you subscribe and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We're really, really pushing for 750 followers very quickly. We also are going to try to get to 1,000 by the start of March Madness. That's feeling a little bit tighter and tighter, but make sure you subscribe down below. We're going to give away that Galen Robinson designed jacket at 750. We're doing a giveaway every 250 subscribers here on the way to 1,000. So make sure you subscribe, like, and thumbs up. All those good things wherever you're listening to your podcast. Uh, if you're looking for a second listen of the day, I really enjoy listening on Monday mornings to Locked On College Basketball. Andy and Isaac break down big weekends, and there were some buzzer beaters, some upsets, and frankly, some court stormings to break down on Locked On College Basketball. So go listen to Andy and Isaac do it. Uh, they do it a great job. It's a daily show all about college basketball, and it's very Cougar friendly. Uh, thank you all so, so much for listening to Locked On Cougs, making Locked On Cougs your listen of the morning. Locked On Cougs, a proud member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Go Cougs!